0: Good morning. Good to be with you this morning. Good to have each of you. Good to see each of you this morning. Before we get into the message this morning, I'd like to just take a moment to just set up next week. As many of you know, next week, August 25th, begins a 14 week study on the heart of worship. We're going to be looking at different psalms throughout those 14 weeks. And I've been asking you as the church to be praying over this series. I've said that one of the ways that we get more out of something that God is ready to do is not only by praying for it and praying over it, but also by preparing for it. And one of those options for preparation uh, is uh, to read these psalms and to maybe study them a little bit even before you come in on Sunday. So I have my books back there, but especially the Psalms book at the info table. Uh, We've reduced the price uh, half of what it normally is because we want this book to to get out there. In fact, we've actually sold so many in the last couple weeks that we had to do a reorder through the publisher, which is a good thing. And in that book also is the schedule of all 14 weeks and where we're headed and what the psalm is each week so that you can follow along and be prepared. So we hope that if that would interest you, that you would pick that up. And let me say one final thing about the series starting next week, and then we'll get into what God has for us today. There are so many Christians that believe that all that matters is that we worship God, not how we worship God. And yet we're going to find out, even in 14 weeks, how much of God's word God spends on teaching us, his people, how to worship him. And what's really tragic is that, especially in our modern-day churches, we have reduced worship to arguing about our preferences in worship, what kind of style of worship and what kind of music and all of that And and we've gotten to the point again because church has become so man-centered rather than God-centered that we're we're spending more time talking about what we prefer in worship rather than looking into the Word of God to see how does God prefer that we worship Him. And So that's what we're going to start next week. We hope not only that you will be here, we hope that maybe you could bring a friend or a family member with you. And one other request... Would you help me get everybody here in this auditorium at 10 o'clock? I know that's a lot to ask, but as I said over the last couple weeks, if that means you've got to get up a little bit earlier on Sunday morning, if that means you've got to get up or go to bed a little bit earlier on Saturday night, whatever it is, folks, we're giving God one hour. I mean, that's not a lot. We're giving God one hour to do some business with his people. Surely we can do whatever it takes to get here at 10 o'clock. Those of you that work, uh, you know, you make sure you get to work on time every day. Then we can get to God's house and we can meet with God on time too. So I'm also asking those of you that might normally be out there in the lobby, just start heading in here a little bit before 10. And if there's those out there that they want to stay out there, that's between them and God. But you and I are going to meet with the Lord beginning next week at 10 o'clock. In fact, we're meeting with the Lord right now. Amen. Amen. 1 John chapter 5, beginning at verse 13 this morning. We are finishing up our series in the book of 1 John. John is all about teaching us about the priority and, and the uh, essential nature uh, of fellowship in our life as a Christian that God in his will, did not just design us as his children to be in relationship with him, but to be in fellowship with him, to stay close to him, to be in intimate contact with him at all times, because there's so much about the Christian life that only can be learned, that we can only grow into out of fellowship and not out of relationship. And throughout this series, John has been giving us evidences of fellowship and results of fellowship, and now John ends this very powerful message in this way. He wants to remind us that when you and I walk in fellowship with God, and we don't just have a relationship with God, we literally can move to a place in our life of absolute confidence. Not confident in ourselves, but confident in the life that we have and all that we have in Jesus Christ our Savior and that we can actually move into a season of life where we can get to a beyond the shadow of a doubt type of a life because you see up to this point and we'll talk about what that means up to this point John has used the word no know, k-n-o-w or knowledge a lot in fact maybe more than any other New Testament writer But he's primarily used a word that speaks about experiential knowledge. Knowledge, again, that can only be gained by experience. Knowledge that opens up our eyes to something that without actually being there and experiencing it for yourself, you you just couldn't get the same kind of impact. For instance, when we travel, we can read about a place in a book. We can even uh, listen to someone who's been there tell us about it. And and that gives us a certain level of knowledge, but there's nothing like going there and and seeing it with our own eyes and, in a sense, feeling it under under our feet and and feeling it with our hands and stuff. We get a whole different perspective by actually experiencing it ourselves. And so John's been using this concept throughout his letter of 1 John to explain what fellowship really is. But when you come to this last part of 1 John, He changes, and he uses the word no here six times in this latter part of his letter, but now it's not the same word that he's been using up to this point. Now it's a no that is beyond the shadow of a doubt knowledge. Think about that. John says you and I as Christians can get to a place where there's certain things that you and I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Do you have any of that knowledge today? I hope so. And here's the thing. What's so great about this is, we live in a world today that most people, even Christians, could say, there's nothing I know for sure. There, there's nothing I know that certain. There, there's nothing that I feel comfortable in saying that, yes, I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. Doubt has left the building, if you will, and there's no room for doubt anymore. Folks, that's where God wants to move us all to. And God wants us also in this moment today with him to begin to lay aside that self-doubt that we have of ourselves, to lay aside that self-deprecation that we go through at times as human beings and especially as God's children. He wants us to lay aside this uh, tendency to want to live to please people and to please everybody around me and make them happy. He wants us to lay aside us living for the applause and the approval of human beings and simply get to the place where we live for the audience of one alone, and that's him. Beyond a shadow of a doubt. So let's share these verses with you this morning. I'm going to first go to verses 13, 14, and 15, and then we're going to go to 18, 19, and 20. John says in verse 13 of 1 John 5, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you have eternal life. Verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have before him, that whenever we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Verse 15, and if we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that he hears us in regard to whatever we ask, then we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that we have the request that we have asked from him. Verse 18, we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that everyone who's been fathered by God does not sin, but God protects the one he has fathered and the evil one cannot touch him. Verse 19, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Verse 20, and we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Son of God has come and given us insight to know him the one time in this last part. That's the word experiential knowledge to know him by experience. And we are in him, in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Folks, over and over again in this passage, John is saying we can get to a place Not through just a relationship with God, but through fellowship with God where there's certain things that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt. And notice he even begins in verse 13 by addressing Christians who know they have eternal life. I mean, hopefully that's something when you and I got saved, when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, it was explained to us, now you have eternal life. But notice what John is saying. He's saying, even for those of you that believe, I'm writing to you knowing that you already believe But he's saying, I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt what you have. Because so many Christians, if we don't grow, if we don't mature in our walk with God, if we simply stay at a relational level and never get to fellowship, then we really don't know beyond a shadow of a doubt the eternal life that God wants us to have and wants us to experience. Before we move on into these verses this morning, Let me ask you a question. How many of you in your life, I'm not even talking about your Christian life, but certainly that is a big part of it. How many in your your life ever question yourself, do I have, or no, I'll say it this way, can I be enough? Can I be enough? Or maybe this question, do I have enough? Do I have what it takes? Or maybe this question, will I know enough? You see, I think if we're honest, all of us struggle with that. I've struggled with that much of my life until God got me to a place where I landed, where John is here in 1 John 5, where I began to know things through my spiritual growth and through my fellowship with the Lord beyond a shadow of a doubt. And I got to a place that John wants us all to get to where I realized, yeah, I can be enough. And I am enough. I I can have enough. And I do have enough. And I do know enough. Have you gotten there? Or is there still a life filled with a lot of self-doubt, a lot of fear, a lot of I don't think I measure up, I don't think I've got what it takes, a lot of self-deprecation. I live to please everybody else around me. Only because I'm so insecure that that I just don't have that confidence. Because notice, in verse 14 of this passage, he says, and this is the confidence we have before God. Can you imagine getting to a place in your life, even as a Christian, where you have such confidence, such boldness, such sort of unreservedness in approaching God? That If that be the case, if you and I have that kind of confidence before God, then we should have that kind of confidence, if you will, before anybody else. And if we can have that kind of confidence to be able to approach God, then we should have that kind of confidence in the rest of our life, no matter what we're doing, you see. That's what God wants us to get to. Well, how does that come? Well, it comes, first of all, by knowing that we can be enough. We can be enough because we are enough in him. You see, in this fascinating passage, especially in verses 14 and 15, after John says, I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt this life that you have in Jesus, he then makes a startling statement that he's actually made before in this letter. He says, do you know what kind of confidence we can have that whenever, no qualifications, whenever we ask anything, no qualifications, according to his will, there's the qualification, that he hears us in our prayers. But then he goes on to say this. He says, and if we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God hears our prayers, then we also know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we will receive basically from him whatever we asked. Amen. Whoa! Did you catch what John's saying? He's saying, do you realize that through fellowship with God, you and I can get to a place in our Christian life where it's not guesswork in going to God in prayer and wondering as I pray what his will is about something. In fact, let me even go back even further. Did you notice here that this this passage is teaching us something really important about prayer that that many Christians miss? And that is that the, the act of prayer is not about me as a human being trying to get God to bend His will to me, but it's just the opposite. As I spend time in the presence of God that prayer is primarily getting my heart aligned with God's heart so that my will is actually His will, so that I can get to a place in my Christian life that as I pray... I'm not praying so much about God. I don't really know what your will is here, so I'm just going to leave this in your hands. There may be a few times where that happens, but we can actually get to a place, John says, where the majority of time you and I are praying, because we have grown to know the Lord and his heart so well through fellowship that everything we are praying for is his will, therefore we have such confidence as we ask because we also know beyond a shadow of a doubt that everything we're asking for at that moment is something that God is going to give or to do because we know beyond a shadow of a doubt it's his will. Amen. Wow. Wow. And folks, I'm just going to say this again as John has taught us, that that kind of confidence in prayer, that kind of ability to be able to discern God's will so clearly as we pray about things throughout our Christian life, only comes through my daily walk with God. It's not an easy, you know, easy button thing. It's not a quick fix thing like our society wants us to buy into. It's not, you know, a couple big experiences in my Christian life and I'm going to get there. No, it's every day consistently, faithfully walking with Almighty God. And as I walk with him every day and spend time in his presence, worshiping him and praising him, him and thanking him and talking to him and letting him talk to me we get to a place that john's talking about here where i have such confidence as i approach god because i know absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt that what i'm asking him for is his will and therefore he's going to do it but i want to go back to this concept of his 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 will because this is where we really get into knowing that we can be enough. Because so many people today, even Christians, and I should say Christians, we focus on every trying to be what everybody else wants us to be or even what we think we should be, instead of focusing on just waking up every day and just doing God's will, knowing no matter what his will is for me and for that day and that season of my life and whatever, that that's enough. You, do you understand what I'm saying, my friends? That, that I don't have to then live my life wondering in self-doubt, am I being enough? Am I doing enough? Uh, uh, you know, I I don't ever have to live a day trying to please all these other people. No, no, all I have to do is get up every day and go, Lord, what is your will for me that day, that week, that month, that year? And if I'm living the will of God, then I can be confident that I'm being enough. That's why God invites us to do his will because then that frees us from this self-doubt. It frees us from living a life of trying to please everybody else. It, It frees us from trying to live for the applause and the approval of others. It's simply, God, I'm doing your will, and I know that's enough, and that if I just do your will throughout my life, that I will hear one day, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That maybe not everybody else will buy into my life and maybe I won't get a lot of, you know, worldly praise or worldly approval and maybe even people in my family and my co-workers and my friends and everybody else, maybe they won't be thrilled with the life I'm living. But God, if I'm doing your will every day, that's enough. In fact, there could be nothing greater or more than God's will for my life. When Jesus was here, When he came as a human being to this earth, do you know what he kept telling his disciples over and over again? I'm just here to do the will of my Father. My food, he says, my necessary food is simply to get up every day and just follow whatever my Father wants me to do that day. He was modeling for us. He was being an example of who you and I should be. That simply it's enough no matter what it is and that we can can very much put our life in the hands of our Heavenly Father because we've already seen that he loves us and that his best, uh, our best interest is at his heart and that whatever his will for us is is absolutely the best thing we could ever be doing with our earthly life while we're here. Amen. In fact, Paul told the Romans in Romans chapter 12, he says, I want you to get to a place where you will give over your body as a living sacrifice to God and just live for God's will every day so that you will come to a place in your life as a Christian where you will learn that God's will for you is good, well-pleasing, and perfect. Let's talk about those words for a minute. First of all, You and I, when we're doing God's will, it's good. That means honorable. We're doing something honorable with our earthly life. But it also means this. It means that our life is going to be maximum beneficial and profitable, not only to us, but to all those around us. So when you and I adopt the will of God for our life, we will be... We will be doing good. We will be profiting and benefiting those around us as well as ourselves, and we will be doing something honorable with the earthly life that God has given us. The word well-pleasing not only means well-pleasing to God, it also means that it will be gratifying to us. You see, so many people, even Christians today, try to find something in this world that will fulfill and satisfy them. And the Bible simply says, if you and I just do the will of God every day or every year that we're alive, that will be nothing more gratifying because God made us for that, which leads us to that final thing, uh, perfect. It doesn't mean sinless or anything. It simply means that God, when he designed us, when he created us, and when he saved us and he gifted us, that whatever God's will is, it perfectly fits us. It's fitting for us. It's like putting on a piece of clothing that just drapes your, your body or, or fits your foot in such a way it's like, ah, that fit. You see, the Bible's trying to tell us, don't you realize, we try to live our lives sort of like, you know, David initially did, putting on Saul's armor before he went out to fight Goliath and was just like, this isn't me, this doesn't fit. Right, because Saul's armor was designed for Saul, not for David. And so many Christians, tragically, are trying to live their lives for what they think they should be doing or what others think they should be doing instead of just focusing on, God, what did you design me to do? What did you create me to do? Because I know that if I just follow your will, it will not only be profitable and honorable and, and, and well-pleasing and, and all of this, but it will fit me. It will fit me. It, it, will, it will be just what I was made Four, you see that's why Jesus said to his followers come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I'll give you rest and take my yoke upon you and learn from me because my yoke is easy and my burden is light he's talking there about his will and let's go back and again examine those terms for a moment The yoke was what was placed on a beast of burden in in order for it to do its work and to do it well. And Jesus says, the yoke that I will place upon you, that's my will for you, first of all, again, it's well-fitting. It is unique to you. That's what the word means. It is unique to you, and it is well-fitting for you. That's why it's easy not in a sense of, oh, I can just kick my feet up and just you know, live a life of ease, but that whatever God's will is, it is a uniquely well-fitted responsibility that God has designed for us. And then what's he mean by my burden, my will for you is light. It means that whatever God has designed for us, it's his will for us every year, every month, that we're alive every week, every day. It is something that can be very well managed not something that's going to be too difficult to take care of and too difficult to manage. That's God's will for us. Then why is it that so many Christians feel like the life that they are living is so much more than what they can manage? Could it be that maybe we're taking on more than what God in his will wants us to take on? more responsibility than even God wants to place on us because he says his will for us is something that is not going to be hard to manage, too difficult for us to find the time to do, to do it well and not feel like we're scattered to the four winds and that we have to run around every day with our hair on fire to get everything done. Maybe then we need to reevaluate the way we're living life. Maybe we're trying to maybe prove to ourselves something. Maybe we're trying to prove ourselves to others. Maybe we're trying to live to please them. But what about just doing the will of God and knowing that if I just wake up every day and do the will of God, His will is enough for me. I will be enough. You will be enough if we simply live out the will of God then we also struggle with, do I have enough? Do I have what it takes to accomplish what what I need to be and what I need to do in life? And I think John covers that in verses 18 and 19 when he tells us that everyone fathered by God does not sin. Whoa! Even Christians be like, whoa, wait a minute. I sin. I must not be a child of God. Again, this is where study of the Word of God is important, not just reading it. The Word here speaks about a lifestyle, one who is continuously living in sin. In other words, what John is saying is, sorry, you can claim to be a Christian, but if your life has never changed from the time before you claimed to be a Christian to the time now, sorry, can't be that way. Yes, as Christians, we will commit acts of sin and there will be even times in our life where we may even drift away from the Lord and go through seasons where we are distant from him. But that ultimately speaking, one who has been fathered by God will not be able to live a life totally characterized and influenced by sin. Our lifestyle will be more characterized by righteousness than it will be sin. Sin will be something that we do occasionally, but it should not be something that we do habitually or else John says maybe we better check out whether we ever became a Christian in the first place. Why? Because John says a true Christian has a power now. God places a power through the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, and sin can no longer dominate the life of a true child of God. Yes, we will sin. Yes, again, we can go through seasons where we drift, but that ultimately speaking, sin's power has been broken through the blood of Jesus Christ and through his resurrection. That's why Paul said, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things are passing away. All things are becoming new. Someone cannot be inhabited by the being of God, the Holy Spirit, and remain the same, the Bible says. That can't happen, you see. And the reason I want to talk about this is because what John is saying is, you realize you have a power in you. We've been talking about this power on Wednesday night in our study of Ephesians. Paul said to the Ephesian Christians, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father is the same power through the presence of the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. Can you imagine that? We as Christians walk around with supernatural power inside of us every day. And so you want to know whether you have enough? Yeah. Why? Because you and I as Christians, as children of God, we have the very power of God present at our disposal throughout our life at all times. But then John says this. He goes on to say, Oh, and the evil one cannot touch him. Well, the evil one obviously is the devil here in this context. Here's what he's also saying. He's saying not only do you and I have a power that will be enough, We have a father who's watching over us, caring for us, and protecting us, and literally shielding us as a fortress because that's what the word protects means. He is literally our fortress who will preserve us even when he allows the enemy in a little bit. But as our father, he never allows the enemy to absolutely touch one of his children. You see, it's not that the devil can't attack us. But notice something here based upon these verses. He has to attack us from a distance. It's like he has to throw those arrows the Bible talks about or, or, you know, fling the arrows or throw pebbles at us or throw rocks at us. But he cannot live. Why? Because our father will not allow the devil to actually grab a hold and touch one of his children. We have a protection. We have a father who watches over us and looks out for us, you see. And that what John also is teaching is that whatever does touch us, whatever does affect our lives, it has come through first, the loving hands of our Heavenly Father. And if he does let it pass through, it's only because he understands and knows that this is for our better good. Or this is for someone else's good and for his glory. That's why when you talk about the will of God and even knowing whether we, remember when when they sent word to Jesus that Jesus, your good friend Lazarus, you've got to get here quick because he's on the verge of death and Jesus delayed and his disciples are scratching their head because when finally Jesus wanted to go to Bethany, Lazarus had already died. And then when he gets there, he's greeted by Mary and, uh, yeah, Mary and Martha, and they're all upset. Jesus, you had just been here earlier. Maybe you could have prevented my brother from dying, not realizing yet, oh, he can do greater than that. He can actually raise your brother from the dead, which is what he's going to do. Amen. And it's this whole idea again of if we just learn to rest and trust in God, we would know that even the things that he allows is only for his greater glory and our greater good because the thing that he allowed to happen, Lazarus dying, actually ended up being a resurrection of the dead. How would you like that? Lazarus was like, yeah, I died, but I got to come back to life again. How many people can say that? You know, I experienced a literal resurrection, you see. And God got more glory for it. His disciples were affected in a greater way by it than even if he would have healed him from whatever was killing him in the first place. And so John here is saying, you realize you can be enough simply by doing the will of God. And you realize as a Christian you can get to the place where beyond a shadow of a doubt you know you have enough because you walk around with the very power of God in you every day and you have your heavenly Father protecting you, being your fortress, being your refuge, watching out for you, not allowing even the devil, who is the greatest enemy we will ever face, to even touch you. He he can maybe get some glancing blows in on you, but he will never be allowed to just give you his best. And can I also just divert for a moment and remind all of us there was one that even the father allowed Satan to give him his best blow, and that was Jesus. Jesus took the very best shot Satan could ever land, and yet Jesus got up off the mat and rose from the dead and said, I took your very best shot, Satan. Here I am. I'm the victor. And Jesus wants to show his children. You've got that same power. That's why the Bible tells us we, even as mere human beings, because of the power and protection of the Father and the power of God inside, we can resist the devil. And the Bible says he'll flee from us. The Bible says we can resist him firm in our faith because we have that power and we have that protection. And yes, every day we have enough simply by relying on who we are in Jesus Christ and on the resources that God has given us when we became a Christian in the first place. And then, do we know enough? Oh, especially in our society today where it's all about knowledge. Notice what John says in verse 18. And we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Son of God has come to give us insight. The word literally is a mind. I love that. Do you see what the Bible's teaching? Not only when we become a Christian, does God give us a heart to love him, God gives us a mind to be able to comprehend and understand him. Because without God doing that in our lives, we couldn't really know God and understand him and, and grasp him. God gives us the ability through the Son of God to know him. Isn't that great? And then it goes on to say, to know him who's true, And then he said, and we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, Jesus is the true God and eternal life. You see, here's what John is saying. You ever struggled with thinking, I don't know enough. I don't know enough. John is saying, do you have Jesus Christ? Yeah. Do you know that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life? Yeah. Well, if he's the way, the truth, and the life, and you have him, and not only do you know him, but you're in him, then that means you'll know the way, the truth, and the life. And that truth will set you free if you know it. True. And he says, again, it's not just knowing him, it's being in him. And here's what the Bible says about Jesus. Because of who he is, All the treasures, Paul says, of wisdom and knowledge are in Jesus Christ. Now think about that implication. If all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, at least that we should know, are in Jesus, and I have Jesus, And I can know Jesus because God gave me a mind to know Jesus. And not only can I know Jesus, but I'm actually in Jesus. That means that all the wisdom and knowledge I will ever need to live my life, to face whatever challenges and and things come up in my life, that I never have to look outside of Jesus Christ. Because everything I will ever need, everything I will ever need to know, and if I, need, if I think I need to know something that's outside of Jesus, then what God would say, no, you don't really need to know that. Because everything you need to know is going to be found within Jesus Christ. And if you just keep fellowshipping with him and you just keep coming to him, asking him to reveal himself to you, and when you open up his word, ask him to show you things out of his wonderful word, he will because he, when you g- became a Christian, he gave you and I a mind to be able to know him. That's why a Christian should never say, I, I just can't understand the Bible. And I've heard many a Christians say that. My, I guess, response to that would be, you realize God gave you a mind to know him. God doesn't want the Bible to be some kind of intimidating book that you can't understand and can't comprehend. We all have to start somewhere. Now, yeah, maybe as you start out as a, as a Christian, you're not going to know what I've known after 50 years of studying the Bible, but you're going to get on your own journey And you're going to start making progress and every day that goes by and every week that goes by and every month that goes by and every year that goes by, you're going to know more and more and more because that's the way God designed it. And that I never have to go, God, in this particular season of life, this is what you're asking me to do. I don't think I know enough to do it. If God's leading you in his will to do it, then God will give you and I the know-how to do it. You see, so that again, I never have to be concerned when I truly understand what John's saying in these verses at the end of his letter that maybe I can't be enough. Maybe I don't have enough. I don't have what it takes. Maybe I won't know enough. No, no, John said then you've not gotten to the place through fellowship with God where you can begin to lay your self-doubt and self-deprecation aside, where you're stopped living to please everybody around you and where you just simply live for the audience of one. Because when you and I get to the place where doing the will of God, it'll free you from having to try to be what everybody else or even what you think you should be, And you will simply rest in the will of God and his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And you'll know every day I'm being enough. Why? Because I'm doing the will of God. But God, I don't have enough. Oh, wait a minute. I have the power of God and I have my protective heavenly father watching over me. (laughs) I got enough. I have no better heavenly father than, than my father up there watching over me. He won't even let the devil touch me. I got en- I have enough. Oh, do I know enough, God? Yeah. Yeah, I do know enough because God gave me a mind to know him. And I'm in Jesus Christ. And I know Jesus Christ. And in Jesus are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that I will ever need. See, whatever position, whatever responsibility, whatever God's called us to, Jesus will be enough knowledge to be able to do it And to do it well. I want you to know that for years, as a pastor, I struggled with this. So I know about what I'm talking about this morning. There were so many Sundays and Wednesdays that went by early on when I was a young pastor where every week that went by, in fact, every day that went by, I would say, God, I can't be enough. God, I surely don't have enough. And God, I can never know enough to be the pastor that, that the people under my leadership needs me to be. I don't have what it takes. I felt like such a failure all the time. I went through a lot of self-doubt and self-deprecation. I started finding myself trying to please other people around me rather than focusing on just doing the will of God. And it was through exactly what John says in my own life that I moved out of that. And I got to a place where I, finally the light bulb went on with me and where I realized, oh God, I've been working hard in my life and not really getting anywhere. And then finally it was like, I get it, God. In you, in you, I can always be enough. In you, I can always have enough. And in you, I can always know enough. Self-doubt, self-deprecation, you're gone. So here's what I want to ask this morning because we're going to have an extended time of being with the Lord in worship here today. We want God to move in this place today. I want to ask you today because I'm standing, your pastor's standing. Would any of you here in this room say, Pastor, God spoke to me today. And you know what? I'm laying some things aside in my life, and I'm going to rest in who the Lord has me to be. I'm just going to ask you right now, have the courage to stand right where you are, right where you are. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm laying it aside. I, I, I am beginning a new journey with God. I, I am done with trying to look around and please everybody around me. I'm done with trying to live to please others, live for their applause, live for their approval. I'm tired of living with all this self-doubt within me that I don't have enough, I can't know enough, I can't be enough. I'm laying that self-deprecation aside. And God, I'm going to embrace you today and who you made me to be. And I'm going to rest in that today. Could I invite the rest of you to stand and let's pray. God, would you heal hearts here today? Would you strengthen hearts here today? Would you help us beyond a shadow of a doubt here today to see us through your eyes, to see us through who you created us to be, who you saved us to be, who you gifted us to be, And to know, God, that we can leave here in victory today, even though maybe yesterday or this past week or this past month or this past year, we've been in defeat. We've allowed others and situations to beat us up and to beat us down. But God, we're going to leave this auditorium and this, this church property today in victory because, Lord, through you, we are realizing that we can overcome, that you are more than enough for us, God. And that if we simply be who you made us to be and do your will every day and realize that we have enough in you and that we know enough in you, God, that whatever life brings to us, we will be enough in you. God, give victory here today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.